Um, if you have your Bibles, could you open them with me to Second Chronicles? Today's scripture reading um, will be from the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 34. Chapter 34, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 29 to 33. So again, the Second Chronicles, chapter 34, verses 1 through 7, and then 29 to 33. Please follow along with me as I start in, verse, in chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left, right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved and metal images. And he chopped down the altars of the Baal in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke into pieces the ashram and the carved and metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the God, before the Lord, to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, and to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territories that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Chad, and I'm a uh, pastoral resident here. Uh, and today we are continuing on in our series of the good, the bad, and the ugly, as we have been uh, this summer. Where we've looked uh, throughout the Old Testament at various stories and various people, and seen how in their lives and in the good of their lives uh, and the bad uh, that they did, and uh, some really ugly things. How all of that. Uh, we could see glimpses and a foreshadowing of uh, our ultimate Savior to come in Jesus. Um, so how we can read and interpret all of the Old Testament through this Christocentric, Christ-centered lens. Uh, today we get uh, to look at a pretty incredible story of King Josiah, uh, who became king at age eight, uh, which I'm sure for some of you with kids around that age is quite scary. Uh, be became king at eight and uh, ultimately comes from a line of immense faithlessness. Uh, Josiah's father was a guy named Amon, uh, 
2 uh, Chronicles doesn't say too much about him, but it does say that he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not humble himself before the Lord. Josiah's grandfather Manasseh uh, was also king, and he as well did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Manasseh rebuilt the high places, uh, he erected altars to Baal, he erected ashram poles, uh, he built idols and altars and placed them in the temple of God. Uh, and he, he even went as far as sacrificing his own sons as offerings to other gods. Uh, so he was a pretty bad king, uh, probably one of the worst uh, that we read about in here. And then this even comes uh, decades and generations, uh, after decades and generations of faithlessness in the history of Israel. Uh, Israel uh, established a kingship under uh, King Saul, and then you had David, and then you had Solomon. And then after Solomon died, his two sons became kings, and they split the kingdom of Israel into two. We have the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Uh, Josiah is king over the southern kingdom of, of Judah, uh, and he is one of the last kings. And before him, uh, there was just king after king after king who did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. In light of this, in light of this history, in light of this genealogy, uh, 2 Kings 23-25 says of Josiah uh, that before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. How does this happen? How does a man like Josiah come from a family like his, uh, in a kingdom like Judah with the history that it has, and yet be characterized in this way, that there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. How does he come from this immense line of faithlessness and yet uh, be incomparable to any other king? Uh, what we're going to see as we look through the story in Second Chronicles 34 uh, is that Josiah underwent a personal renewal in an age of faithlessness. He underwent a personal renewal in an age of faithlessness, and we see that his renewal then went corporate, went viral, went throughout his kingdom. Uh, so we're going to be looking uh, at the story of Josiah, which takes place in 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35, as well as 2 Kings 22 and 23. Uh, but for today, we're really just going to focus in on 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Uh, so again, Josiah becomes king at age 8. Um, in his 12th year, he started destroying idols and altars. Uh, in verses, uh, starting verse 3, it says, For the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and metal images. And they chopped down all the altars of the Baals in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and metal images, and made dust of them, and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So in his 12th year of reigning, he undergoes this reformation project uh, to purge Judah of any uh, worship of other gods, uh, to purge them of the sin that they've been committing for generation after generation. Uh, later on, in his 18th year of his reign, started in verse 8, uh, it talks about how Judah, uh, Josiah then commands that the temple be cleaned out and purified. Uh, again, his grandfather Manasseh had filled the temple with idols and altars to other gods, uh, thus desecrating the place of worship, uh, thus desecrating um, and uh, yeah, the, the place where Israel was to come uh, to worship their God. 
So he commands that the temple be cleaned out. While the priests and the various people there are doing that, they come across uh, the book of the law, the book of the covenant, which we now believe is uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, there's a lot in this uh, chapter that kind of references and refers to uh, what is in the book of Deuteronomy. So they find this book, uh, which has been lost, which has been neglected, and they bring it before Josiah. They read it to Josiah, and his response uh, in chapter 34, verse 19, uh, is, and when the king heard these words of the law, he tore his clothes. In the verse 21, it says, Go inquire of the Lord for me and those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Josiah hears, uh, hears scripture, hears the word uh, probably for the first time in his life uh, and is in anguish over it. He tears his clothes in anguish because he knows and because what he has heard uh, is that he and his father and his grandfather and all his people uh, have broken what is in this law. Well, the book of Deuteronomy kind of functions as a, a covenant between God and his people. It was given to Moses as they were about to enter into the promised land after escaping uh, Egypt. Uh, and in it, it outlines their relationship. Uh, it says in there that God says to Israel that I will be your God, you will be my people. And because of that relationship, here are uh, the way that you are called to live. Here are the stipulations of this relationship. And if you follow it, if you do these things, I will bless you in these ways. Uh, if you don't follow it, if you break this covenant, uh, I will curse you in these ways. So Josiah hears these words, reflects back on the way that the nation has been, and says, oh man, we have been breaking this. Uh, these curses that God has said is coming, uh, it's coming for us. We are living in that time. So he responds by consulting a prophetess, uh, starting in verse 22, uh, just to inquire of what the Lord is, uh, has to say and what he's going to do. Uh, she comes back and says that because Judah has sinned after generation and generation, because they have lived lives of faithlessness, uh, that he will take them to, into exile that their punishment is exile um, at the hands of Babylon. However, because Josiah had a tender heart and because he humbled himself before the Lord, God is willing to spare Judah uh, during Josiah's lifetime. So because Josiah humbled himself before the Lord, uh, God was willing to let him live a life of peace and Judah live a life of peace during the lifetime of Josiah. Josiah responds to that by having the book of the law read before everybody in verse 29 uh, so that they might hear the words that are in this, that they might hear scripture, probably for the first time. Uh, and then Josiah renews the covenant before the Lord. He makes a new commitment with the Lord, reaffirming his relationship uh, with the Lord. And then he has all of Judah do the rest. And then it says in verse 33, to kind of close out the story, it says, And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory, that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days that did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Josiah is this pivot point in the history of Judah, uh, that there has been sin and faithlessness for generations. And then comes along Josiah, who is said to have, uh, when he was still a kid, when he was still young, began to seek after God. Began to seek after God in a way that his father didn't do, uh, in a way that he hadn't seen his grandfather do. And because of that, because he underwent this personal renewal with, this Lord, with the Lord, a personal recommitment with him, uh, that he brought about uh, reforms and change in the life of Judah so that they, as well, during the life of Josiah, uh, follow the Lord faithfully. 
I don't know about you, but I, I'm often drawn to stories like Josiah. I think it's because I long for the same thing to happen to me uh, and in our community and in our society. I think it's, I think it's as we look around, it's, it's pretty obvious that we live in an age of faithlessness. And that's not, that's not necessarily new to our specific time or to 2023. Uh, you know, throughout history, there has always been uh, ages of faithlessness, people of faithlessness. Um, but I hear stories of Josiah, and I long that God would do the same in my heart, that I would experience that renewal in him, that, that new zeal that he had, uh, and that the people that I love and the communities that I live in as well would experience that renewal. I think we can look around at our friends and our family and coworkers and see uh, this faithlessness. You know, friends who maybe we grew up with in youth group, uh, but are no longer walking with the Lord. Uh, coworkers who are pursuing their ultimate uh, purpose in their work or in pursuing sex and relationships uh, and, and kind of creating the ideal perfect family uh, or other areas that are just simply not God. Uh, we see it uh, in, in family and loved ones who uh, view ultimate satisfaction as pursuing um, the best, going on the best vacations, eating at the best restaurants, having the best food, and just all around having the best, most fun experiences. And if they have that, they will be satisfied. And maybe God is kind of a part of that, but he's really uh, just overshadowed by other things. We can look at ourselves and feel the same way. Um, you know, at times, uh, our relationship with Jesus might feel stale or dry or flat. You know, if we read our Bibles, uh, sometimes it could feel as if it's just words on a page and, and not this source of life and truth that we know it to be. Uh, when we pray, it could be hard to, to focus, um, to persist in it, uh, to feel like there's anything happening in that moment. Uh, even when we sing songs on Sunday morning, we might be saying these words, uh, but it might feel like there's a disconnect between what we're saying and what we actually feel and what our lived experience is with God. I don't know about you, but I, I long for something more. I see Josiah's story and I long for that, something deeper, for a move of God. You know, we feel a holy discontent with the status quo, and we long for this personal renewal. So what we're going to look at in this story are patterns of personal renewal in an age of faithlessness. Uh, patterns in Josiah's life that we can learn from, uh, that we can apply as we pursue our own kind of personal renewal with the Lord. And keep in mind, uh, these patterns or principles aren't really uh, a formula. It's not like you input this one pattern and input this other pattern and then it outcomes renewal, but it's kind of just best practices as we uh, pursue this. Uh, but before we look at that, uh, I just want to kind of give a broad definition of what do I mean by renewal? What, what, is, what is this word? What does this mean? Um, I think there's kind of varying definitions on it, so I'm not too beholden to anything, uh, but I do want to borrow a definition from a, a guy named Mark Sayers. He's a pastor in Melbourne, Australia, who has written and, and spoken on renewal and revivals and histories of that. And he defines renewal uh, in his book, Reappearing Church. Uh, he defines renewal as the refreshment, release, and advancement that individuals, groups, and churches, and cultures experience when they are realigned with God's presence. So the refreshment, release, and advancement that believers experience when they are realigned with God's presence, where they are realigned with right relationship with God. It is also the resumption of our God-given purpose to partner with God fully in his plan to flood the world with his presence. The resumption of our purpose given to us by our creator to partner with him uh, to, to 
share his name with those around us to help other people come to a life-saving relationship with him. Renewal is for those who are hungry after God, for those who desire to see him move again in power, uh, those with a holy discontent, those who long for his presence to invade their lives, their churches, their cities, their families, uh, and their nations. Renewal is a return to a, a simple faith of joy and intimacy and presence with the Lord. It is a moving in the opposite spirit of the world and toward, one towards God. Uh, it is a way, it's God's way of cleansing and reviving the systems in which we exist and operate. It is also not a recreation. It's not this like new formula, uh, this new thing that like nobody's done before, but it's a rediscovery uh, of, of simple ways of following Jesus. Uh, it's a rediscovery of how scripture teaches us uh, to follow him. It is an embrace of our DNA as image bearers uh, image bears of God and an alignment with him. So that is what I mean by renewal. It is, it is the refreshment that we experience when we are realigned with God. And it is a resumption of our purpose as his image bears to help his name uh, be declared that people might know him uh, and that those that we know, those around us might worship him. So with this story in Second Chronicles, Josiah shows us two purposes uh, or two patterns for his own personal renewal things that he did that helped fuel uh, his own renewal with the Lord. Uh, the first is zealous faithfulness. Uh, verse 2 of uh, 2 Chronicles 34, uh, it, and it says, And he and Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside from the right hand or to the left. Josiah was faithful to his God. Uh, Josiah was faithful to his God in a way that he saw that his father wasn't and his grandfather wasn't, uh, that he uh, chose to uh, walk in a way that was different than his family of origin and one towards faithfulness with God. Uh, but he was not tame in his faith. He was not private uh, about it. We read these stories, we see these reforms that he performed and he did, and it, it is representative of a faith that is zealous, uh, a faith where he was willing to walk in the opposite spirit of the history of his nation, uh, probably the, the, you know, the, de the desires of his people. Uh, I'm sure some of the things that he was doing was unpopular, uh, but because of his faith in God, he was willing uh, to do that. He was willing to walk in this opposite spirit. Despite his age, he started off king at eight. Uh, his reforms came when he was a young man. Despite his family history, uh, he had a zealous faithfulness uh, that moved him towards a love and commitment to his, to his heavenly father. So what does this faithfulness look like? What uh, are some components of Josiah's faithfulness? Uh, the first is a commitment to scripture. Judah, uh, as a nation, was facing exile because they had departed from the word, because they neglected scripture, uh, or they also uh, kind of incorporated other things with what scripture had commanded of them, that they incorporated uh, worship of other gods and other idols into what scripture had commanded. When Josiah heard the word for the first time, he recognized it as truth and responded rightly to it, uh, that he didn't hear these words and say, like, I don't really like what this is saying. This is kind of, you know, this is kind of a downer, so I'm just going to, I'm going to ignore it. Uh, rather, he heard these words, recognized it as truth, and recognized that it deserved a response, that it, it deserved an adjustment in the way that he was living uh, to fulfill and to live out what this word was saying. Josiah then has the word read before all the people because he also knows that they need to hear it, that it's not just something for him to keep to himself, uh, but that his people, so that they might live the lives that he knows 
that they are called to live, he reads it before all of them. He sees this word as, as truth and life-giving. Uh, much of uh, the work that Josiah does is work to align his life and Judah's life with the word of God, with what scripture says. So how might we uh, personally, how might we in our society, uh, how are we maybe departing from the word? Or maybe what are we adding to the word? Uh, I think for some of us, uh, we, might not just, we might not read scripture. You know, maybe, maybe we haven't kind of forgotten about scripture for generations, but uh, maybe our Bible just kind of sits there uh, on the shelf and we ignore it. Uh, or maybe we don't hold up scripture as our primary source of truth. We might see it as uh, a good resource with some good truth, and we know that it's from God, uh, but it doesn't I guess, impact our life in the way that it should. Uh, that when we, when we take the word and then we compare it with uh, other sources that we use uh, to give us purpose or direction, uh, other, other patterns or systems uh, that we look to for direction, uh, we, we don't, I think sometimes we struggle to hold the word as, as primary over those things. So for example, uh, you might use the word uh, and uh, politics as your idea of this is how I'm going to structure my life, that the, what the word says and what my political orientation is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do these things, I'm gonna follow both these things, and if I do, it's gonna give me purpose, it's gonna change the world, all of that stuff. The conflict comes when our, what we read in the word and what our chosen political orientation says conflicts, because it will inevitably conflict, uh, that we, rather than uh, look at the word and, and use it to impact our political orientation, to, to adjust, uh, maybe what it is that, that we believe. Um, we water down scripture so that we don't have to, um, we don't have to adjust. Uh, that that uh, because we don't want to go through the work of adjusting our political orientation, uh, we water down scripture or we overlook stuff that maybe conflicts with that. Uh, another example, uh, maybe in our understanding of what a life of comfort looks like or what a life of satisfaction looks like, uh, we pursue those things and when uh, we read uh, parts in scripture that talk about self-sacrifice, of dying to ourselves, um, of things that are just simply not comfortable. We often maybe water down scripture uh, so that we don't have to severely impact the way that we live, that we can still live the life that we think that we want to live uh, and just ignore the parts of scripture uh, that maybe call us to, to a life of self-sacrifice. But sometimes we struggle to hold up the word as a primary source of truth. Josiah gives us an example of what it looks like to align our lives as we center around scripture. Uh, the second component of Josiah's uh, zealous faithfulness is one of confession and repentance. That much of Josiah's actions is an act of confession and repentance. Early on, he acknowledges the sin of his father and his grandfather and his nation, and then he works to move away from that sin. Uh, first, in his life, he works to, to remove that sin from his life, that he, he acknowledges that it is sinful, that it is against who God is, that it is displeasing to him. And he does what he can to remove that from his life. And then he also does that to remove it from the life of his people. His role as king to remove that from his life. It, it is an action of confession and repentance. Uh, that throughout history, renewals require a confession of sin and an act of repentance. Because how could we have renewal if we are still clinging to sin in our lives? How could we have renewal if we are not actively putting to death the sin that we hold on to? Uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys read much about um, 
what was going on with Asbury University at the start of the year, uh, where there was a, uh, it's a university in Kentucky where they had kind of a standard weekly chapel. Uh, and then that chapel uh, spawned into a, a multiple week move of God where hundreds of people, thousands of people actually, um, came to the campus uh, and, and, and to experience this move where, where salvation was happening, where people were confessing of their sin, where there was this genuine raw worship of God and where person after person described meeting uh, the sweet and peaceful presence of the Lord. Uh, the school newspaper during kind of the first couple of days of this move of God uh, was describing what was happening um, for those who weren't there. Uh, and the author said at one point, during a call of confession, at least 100 people fell to their knees and bowed at the altar. Hands rested on shoulders, linking individual people together to represent the body of Christ truly. Cries of addiction, pride, fear, anger, and bitterness sounded, each followed by a life-changing proclamation, Christ forgives you. Confession and repentance is a central part of a personal renewal. So are we regularly confessing our sins? Are we coming, you know, we do that at the start of our service every Sunday. Uh, so are we uh, taking advantage of that time of confession? Are we getting to church to a point, you know, at, on time where we could actually engage in confession? Are we confessing our sins throughout the week? Uh, the best time to confess sin uh, is not to wait until Sunday, but it is to confess it the moment that you realize you have sin. So are we actively confessing our sins? while recognizing and while knowing that we have a Father who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins because of the work of Jesus? And are we fully repenting of our sins? Uh, Josiah's act of repentance is not one where he uh, just took these idols and these altars and kind of just put them off to the side and, and ignored them, maybe, you know, kind of took it out of the temple and just pushed it off to the side. But he goes through uh, a time of, of fully destroying these idols, pounding these things into powder and to dust so that there, uh, there would be no more remnant of these idols, of this sin. Are we going to that extreme to repent of our sins, uh, to move away from that, to put to death uh, through the power of the Spirit anything that tempts us, anything that draws us towards sins? And then the last aspect of Josiah's zealous faithfulness is obedience. That obedience is what takes renewal from this good feeling that we have at a youth conference or a Sunday morning, uh, and it takes it to a place of true and genuine change. Uh, verse 31, uh, starting verse 31, it says, And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord uh, to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin join in, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days, all Josiah's days, they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. The result of Josiah's personal renewal was that of obedience, that he committed himself to the Lord to obey, to follow all his testimonies, all his statutes, all his commandments, that the people of Judah, their response to this renewal is obedience as well, a life of obedience. I think obedience is often kind of the dirty word for us today. Uh, we, hear, we hear the word obey or obedience, and we think uh, maybe an extreme form of like authoritarianism uh, or just simply uh, that it is something that prevents us from living the life that we want to live. It prevents us from doing the things that we want to do, 
Uh, and we just, we just don't like to obey those things because we want that freedom to express ourselves, to, to live the lives that we want. But you simply cannot read the Bible and not see that obedience is a central tenet to the Christian life. Uh, that even now, as we have received uh, the free gift of salvation through the work, life, and death of Jesus, uh, that as we receive that, we are then still called to live out a life of obedience to him and what he has called us to do. Obedience is actually life-giving when we are obeying the God who created us. Obedience means living in alignment with the intention of our creator, living in the fullness of our identity as God's image bearers. So Josiah's zealous faithfulness is one of uh, a commitment to scripture, one of uh, repentance and um, confession, and one of obedience. So that is the some of, that is the first principle, the first pattern of Josiah's personal renewal, is a zealous faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, the second is a posture of contending. Moving from a posture of consuming to a posture of contending. Uh, it is when we align ourselves proactively with God's agenda of renewal in the world. When we move uh, to align ourselves proactively, not passively, uh, but proactively with God's agenda and the work that he wants to do. It's not compartmentalizing our faith. It is not uh, just uh, coming to church on a Sunday morning and having a good time here, um, but then not allowing it to, to impact the rest of our week. Uh, it, is, it is a full, it is allowing our faith in, in Jesus and the life that he's called us to do uh, to impact the rest of our week and the rest of our life. It is a proactive action. It is not passive. Uh, parents, it is when you are actively discipling your kids and you're praying with them every day and, and going through whatever devotionals you're doing. Uh, friends, it, it is when you are uh, sitting with a brother who is hurting, uh, who needs support. It is when you're encouraging them and pointing them towards Jesus rather than neglecting them. Uh, it is also when you see patterns in your friend's life that you know uh, are not great for them, uh, that are contrary to the life that God has called them to do, and it is when you are calling them out in that, in gently and in love, uh, that they might repent and follow Jesus. One of the best and kind of most critical ways that we can contend uh, for ourselves and for this world is in prayer. Uh, the contending prayer is a vision of prayer as a battle, where it is rugged, where it is desperate, and where it is this relentless crying out to God to move in mighty ways. Uh, we contend in prayer uh, that for others, we contend in prayer for others that they might know Jesus, uh, that they might confess and repent of their sins, that they might live out their identities as God's image bearers. And we do so persistently and regularly. Uh, the renewal of, of our hearts, renewal of the communities that we live in, is an act of God. It, it, it can only happen uh, through an act of God. And prayer is the way that we uh, most intimately partner with him in that work. If you look at the history of revivals and renewals, uh, you will see that more often than not, they start uh, because of a, a couple of people contending in prayer for God to move. Uh, one such example uh, happened on the island of Hebrides, uh, which is an island off the mainland of Scotland. Uh, and in the late 1940s, uh, there was these two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. Uh, both women were in their 80s, uh, and both women uh, could not attend public worship anymore uh, because Peggy was blind and Christine had severe arthritis. Uh, so they were kind of confined to their cottage uh, but rather than resign themselves to a life uh, of uh, inactivity or woe is me, uh, they committed to praying earnestly and regularly that God would move on their island. Specifically, 
uh, they prayed upon, calling upon the promises of Isaiah 44, which says, I will pour water upon him who, that is thirsty, and the floods upon the dry ground. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. So these two women, in their 80s, were praying regularly and consistently that God would move in this way. Uh, after months of doing that, they saw this vision of the church crowded with young people. So they then called their pastor and said, gather the elders, you guys need to be praying for this. So seven men gathered every Tuesday and Friday uh, in the evening to pray uh, in a contending way, to contend in prayer uh, that God would move on this island. And they prayed for months, contending in prayer for months, and eventually in November, uh, one man began to pray, and he said, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? He prayed this prayer of confession and repentance. Uh, it is said that uh, in that moment he was overwhelmed with the presence of God, that he was confessing his sins, and he was receiving forgiveness of that sin, and was experiencing uh, a peace in the presence of God in a way that he hadn't experienced before. Three of the other elders in that meeting also went through that same experience. And after that meeting, after that encounter, renewal spread throughout the island. Uh, people were confessing their faith, or confessing their sins, they were uh, experiencing, experiencing salvation, uh, that they were worshiping God in a way that had not happened on that island uh, for generations. The church was packed uh, to the point that uh, work would stop every single day in the middle of the day for a prayer service. Uh, that so many people were going to these prayer services uh, that there was nobody to do any work for that time. Uh, so culture was changed, and all of this happened because it started with two old women that culture and society often overlooks, uh, but it started with them and their contending in prayer, their devotion to contend that God would move, that God would renew their hearts, and that he would renew the hearts of the people of the island of Hebrides. I think this is, this is probably... Maybe the, the, the part of this that I struggle with the most, uh, I think intellectually I recognize that prayer is important and that it's necessary, uh, but in lived experience, it is, I, I find this really hard to do, to consistently do, uh, and to, to even feel like this is, this is producing anything. Uh, but the reality is prayer is what brings renewal. Prayer is uh, what allows all of this to happen. And if we were, if we were, if I was a person of prayer, if we were a church of prayer, uh, I have confidence that God would move in mighty ways. So I want to invite you, what, what, would, what does it look like for you to contend in prayer, contend in prayer for your own life, for that of your family, for your friends, for this community? Uh, what would it look like if we were a church that regularly contended in prayer? And with that, I, I, I want to invite you. Uh, our prayer team meets uh, the first Sunday of every month. Uh, they gather uh, before church to contend in prayer in the basement of this church for, for me, they contend for you guys, they contend for Silver Spring uh, and this nation. So I want to invite you, join them next week. They meet, I think, about an hour before service in the basement of this church. Come contend with them in prayer. Uh, the story of Josiah ends on a bit of a sad note. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 35, it talks about this, uh, that the renewal of Josiah, it was not enough. Uh, Josiah ultimately dies and his son becomes king. And his son, uh, it is said that he does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, that king, his son, eventually gets captured by Egypt, uh, and then Josiah's other son becomes king, and he again does evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then at that point, Babylon comes in, captures him, uh, and Judah goes into exile. But Josiah's renewal did not last. 
and it points to a need for a greater king to bring a greater revival that does last. Josiah could not take the wrath upon himself that was coming for his people. Uh, his tender heart and his humbleness before the Lord did uh, prolong the exile that was to come, uh, but it could, he could not take it on fully. Where we now have a king in Jesus who took God's wrath upon himself and delivers his people, us, uh, from our punishment. The renewal of Josiah was short-lived and ultimately ended in his death. The renewal of Jesus is eternal, and we can experience this true renewal because of Jesus' death. Because he died uh, on the cross and rose again, we can experience this true renewal. And now we have a king who is contending on our behalf. We have Jesus, our contending king. Uh, maybe this week read John 17. It is a great picture of Jesus contending for his disciples uh, as he is about to be killed. Uh, but I want to focus in on Romans 8.34, uh, where it says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Even now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you. He's contending for us uh, that we might be renewed in him, that we as a society might be renewed in him. So as we pursue this personal renewal, as we uh, pursue a zealous faithfulness, as we contend, we do so knowing that we have a king who is contending alongside with us. Uh, that it is not up to us, uh, because ultimately we, like Josiah, fall short, but we get to do it in partnership with a Savior who is contending with us, and that we know that one day we will experience true and great renewal uh, when the new heavens and the new earth comes, where we dwell with God, where there will be no mourning, uh, there will be no sadness, there will be no more tears. That is the king that we contend with, and that is the king that we have hope with. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you, for, thank you for stories like Josiah and like Peggy and Christine Smith on the island of Hebrides, uh, of people who long for you to move, uh, who long to experience uh, your presence in a new way, uh, to see you move in power, uh, that they may be renewed in you, uh, that they may experience new life in you, uh, but also that their communities and the people that they know and the people that they love as well would experience that renewal. Uh, Lord, may we be a people of zealous faithfulness to you. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal uh, aspects of our life that we, um, that prevent us from experiencing that true faith, that zealous faith. Uh, the things that we are clinging on to that are not of you, reveal those things. Lord, help us to confess those things. Help us to run from those things. Maybe we, may we be a church of zealous faith that trust in you for all things. And may we be a church that contends, that uh, is actively pursuing a move of you in our own lives and in those that we care about. May we be a church that is contending for this community, for Silver Spring, for Montgomery County, uh, for the whole DMV, that you would move in our lives, in the lives of our neighborhood and our communities. Help us to partner with you in that. Help us to have hope and faith in that. Lord, we know that life with you intimacy with you uh, is far better than whatever else this world offers. Help us to truly believe that uh, and to adjust the entirety of our lives around that truth. God, we are so thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
Second Chronicles 35 gives us one last picture of, of the result of Josiah's personal renewal, uh, and that is Josiah keeps the Passover, uh, which may not seem like much for us, uh, but the Passover uh, was uh, a time where Israel would regularly remember the way that God saved them out of slavery and out of the hands of Egypt, uh, that they would come and eat this meal in remembrance of God's goodness and his salvation. Uh, it is said in Second Chronicles 35 that a Passover has not been kept like the one that Josiah kept since the days of Samuel the prophet. So since the very beginning of the kingdom of Israel, which now Josiah is at the end, uh, a Passover has not been kept in the way that he did. The part of his renewal was to restore uh, this practice uh, with, with God. And we now, as we turn to communion, uh, we do the same thing. The, the communion is our way of remembering uh, our salvation from sin, our, the way that God has saved us through Jesus from the wrath, his wrath from the punishment of sin. We remember the salvation. Uh, we recommit ourselves to this covenant that we are under. Uh, and we praise him for that. Uh, so I want to invite you, if, if that is you, if, if you uh, are a follower of Jesus, that you would partake in communion. Uh, if you are not, I would encourage you just to reflect upon uh, yeah, who is Jesus to you? What, what, yeah, where is he kind of in your life? And what, what is uh, preventing you from knowing him? Uh, so let us take and eat and remember. <laughs>